the Bible passage today is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the back at the table. Please have one. It's our uh, gift to you. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pots that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, good, good morning, everyone, here on this Christmas Eve. Um, looking forward to tomorrow. Um, it's a joy for us to meet as God's people. And if we haven't met, my name's James. I'm the lead pastor here at Turngabia Baptist Church. And I've got the joy this morning of opening up God's Word as we lead into Christmas. Um, tonight, can I just remind you about the carols by candlelight? Um, we're going to be talking on love, but it's going to be a lot shorter. It's going to be a bit of devotion, and we're going to sing plenty of carols. And can I encourage you to come back, and let's all come gathered together as God's people tomorrow on Christmas Day as we look at the hope that we have have in Jesus. But let's pray and let's ask God to help us now as we open up his word. Father God, we give you thanks that you're the giver of life, that you've given us your word, that you've made yourself known to us. And we ask now that as we um, sit still for a few moments in the busyness of this time of year, Father, we pray that we'll behold your love, that we understand more closely your character and your nature. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll be prompting and at work in our hearts. Make Jesus look beautiful. Convict us and turn our hearts to you, we pray. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our household, you know it's getting close to Christmas on about the 23rd of December because that's sort of when we start to prepare for Christmas. Now, mind you, that the Christmas tree does go up before the 23rd of Christmas, but last night as I was sort of getting prepared for today, there was a hype of activity in the McCleary household. Uh, there was the hype of activity of deciding that we needed to set up some Christmas lights. Kids were jumping and rushing. People were looking in cupboards, going around and dashing everywhere because of the hype of, we're just trying to find a few Christmas lights that we could put up on our veranda, we could put up on the Christmas tree. Um, and, and so that was us last night. Now for us, though, to be honest with you, we did feel a little bit of pressure because our neighbour Bob, this last week, he put a few Christmas lights up on his front veranda and, his, and so we feel the pressure and so we've put a, we're going to put a few more up tonight. But in the scheme of things, our Christmas lights, in the scheme of things, Bob's Christmas lights, they aren't extravagant. They're really nothing. But when you drive around Blacktown, when you drive around Toon Gabby, you go around and you know, people want to go and see those Christmas lights in front of people's houses that are extravagant. You know, the, the, the power bill soars, you know, that they've got more lights than, than they could have to light up Sydney Harbour Bridge. And, and it's just extra, extravagant. And, and in a way, as you see their lights, it reveals something about those people and who they are. You know, I know have, you, have you been to birthday parties before, whether it's a five-year-old, and you sit there and you think, boy, this is extravagant, or a wedding, you think, wow, that's a lot of money, wow, that's extravagant, or, or you know, that, you know, I think that's a 17th birthday party, and you think, but they're not 18 yet, and it's like, it's just extravagant. Have you ever sat in a shopping center and you thought that at the front of that window display, that is extravagant? Now, that extravagance reveals something to us about those people. And so today, as we have a moment to sit, we, we as a church, we wanted to, as we came into Christmas time, we wanted us in this season to actually stop and, and to just push in. And last week, we wanted to be reminded about what Christmas reveals. We were reminded that it reveals lasting joy can be found in Jesus. Tomorrow, we're going to look at hope that can be found in Him and what Christmas brings. And so today, I want us just to push for a few moments into that Christmas reveals something to us. We're going to push into God's love this morning. And so what does Christmas reveal that we don't want to miss out on? What does Christmas reveal that we do not want to go away today and miss on? To, to, to just be so caught up in the busyness of Christmas shopping, or so caught up in the busyness of, of family being over, that we miss the extravagant love of God. And so whether you're here today for the first time, whether you're not a Christian and you're seeking, whether you're back at church and you haven't been for a while and it's just because it's Christmas time that you come out and you've come with family, or whether you've been a Christian for 20 years or 30 years, today's passage is great for all of us because it's going to remind us and reveal to us what we don't want to miss out this Christmas on. And we're going to come to a story that's probably, you wouldn't expect always to have at Christmas time, a story of whether you've grown up in church or whether you haven't, that you've probably heard about called the prodigal son. And that's what we're going to look at today. And so what does Christmas reveal to us today that we don't want to miss out on? Because see, this story reveals to us why Jesus has come as a baby. It reveals to us why the Son of Man had to come to this earth. 
And so what does it reveal to us today that we don't want to miss out on? Well, we'll get to that in a moment, but when we come to this story of the prodigal son, we need to read it in its context. Often we know about the younger son who runs away, but in the context of God's Word, the Bible, in chapter 15, there's a context of there's actually two parables that come before it, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Let's have a look at it. Verse 1 of chapter 15 sets the context for us. In in Jesus' day, there was religious people, there was teachers of the law, there was Pharisees. They were, they were men who thought they were highly religious. They looked down upon other people. They thought that they were doing the right thing, that they were earning the love of God through what they were doing. They think that they've earned a seat at the table, unlike all these other people. And surely God loves me more because I'm religious. And have a listen to a prayer that they would pray. I thank you, Lord, my God, that you have set my portion with those who sit in the sanctuary and not with those who sit on the street corners. And look at verse 1 there. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? See, tax collectors, and that's, that's, a, that's a class distinction here. They're not highly revered. Sinners, they're mocked, they're scorned, they're thieves, they're drunkards, they're prostitutes, they're lifestyle choices. They're, they're considered by the Pharisees as no good to anyone. And worst of all, in their context, they're drawing near to Jesus and Jesus is drawing near to them. And for these Pharisees, in their, in their, in their pride, they're, they're, they're offended by what Jesus is doing. Why does Jesus do it? Why does Jesus, Son of God, come to earth? Well, he tells us three parables. And the reason why. Why does Christmas reveal to us what we don't want to miss out on today? Well, firstly, it reveals to us God's extravagant love in pursuing lost people. These these parables, it actually paints a picture of the extravagant love of God in pursuing people. Have a look there at verse verse 4, sorry, if you've got a Bible. Suppose one of you, this is the first parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home, then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Now this is quite striking because it's one sheep out of the hundred sheep. That's a 1% loss economically. And yet, this shepherd goes and leaves the 99 exposed and he walks away from that and yet at all costs, he goes after 1% of his equity. He values that sheep so much that he will do anything, no expense barred, to go on a search and rescue mission for this one sheep. Now, I grew up in parks, I've had... I've had a couple of sheep. I've sort of tried to care for them and look after them. And, and occasionally sheep wander, occasionally sheep get through fences and they go where they're not meant to go. And I've had to go on a search mission and I find them. But at that point, I'm not filled with joy. And at that point, can I tell you that if the sheep can walk home, it's going to walk home. But this shepherd, with incredible joy, picks the sheep up 
and puts it on his shoulders and he heads home. He rings his friends and say, you must come over. We must have a party. We must rejoice because my one sheep has been found. The shepherd pursues the sheep. The great shepherd, Jesus, pursues his sheep. God's extravagant love to pursue lost people. But see, the second parable says the same thing as well. Have a look. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. Have you, have you ever had a situation where you've lost a, something precious to you or you've misplaced a wallet or your purse or you've, you've taken your wedding ring off and you've placed it on a cabinet and then all of a sudden you've forgotten and you can't find it or you've had a $100 note in your pocket and, you've, and it comes out in the wash and you go looking for it? Now, for me, one of those moments where I go looking, it's when I, late at night where I sit down and I want to turn the TV on and for some reason I can't find the remote. And so I go on a search and rescue mission and without a doubt, I'm going to find that remote and I find it. But see, this, this woman, she loses one coin out of 10 coins, which is one day's wages. And she goes looking for it. But remember the context of this lady's house. Like she doesn't have Caesar stone bench tops. She doesn't have a tiled floor. She doesn't have lights that come on when you say, hey, Google, turn the lights on inside. She lives in a house that has dirt floors and really no lights. And so she goes on an extravagant search for the lost coin. She finds the lost coin and she rings her friends, come over, we've got to rejoice. See, these parables remind us that the Son of God came into this world to seek and save the lost. The Bible is a message about God, a God who's on mission to seek and rescue lost people. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about God's mission to redeem a people for himself. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have said to God, we don't want to live under your rule. We said, sorry, we don't want you. I know what's best. They rebel and they should have been destroyed. And yet God in his grace says in that moment to Eve, one day I am going to send a child, a seed who will crush the head of Satan. In Luke chapter 19, in this same gospel, Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God is a God who's on mission for what is lost. And yet in, this, in their extravagant pride of these Pharisees, they say, how dare you, Jesus? How dare you eat with sinners? And Jesus confronts them with the extravagant love of God. You should be rejoicing, not grumbling. God's extravagant love to pursue lost people. Now, you might be sitting here today and you think, well, God, you might, you might be feeling God wouldn't pursue me with his love. Do you struggle to believe that God loves you? Or are you burdened by the weight this morning of just trying to hold your life together step by step? You're hoping that tomorrow you'll be able to lift yourself up, work harder, do more and pick your life up and hopefully God will love you and things will turn out okay. The message of Christmas is let go of that. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You know, in Psalm 103, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love of God for those who fear him. You know, that, that's a picture that God uses to describe his love. 
He describes his love bigger than this world. You know, I think, I think our, our galaxy is like 12 million kilometres in circumference. And God uses that to say, hey, you know what, my love in comparison to that is far bigger than that. The God's extravagant love in pursuing lost people. Kirsten Powell, she was a very successful woman in the US. She, she served under the US Clinton regime. She was um, an administration. She was a commentator. She was a journalist. She was living with a boyfriend in New York. And to, to her disgust, her, her boyfriend at the time became a Christian. She thought, oh man, this is no good. She confronts him and says, I hope you're not going to try and convert me. And, 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 and the words of her boyfriend to her in, in good New York style, which is offensive, he says, she, he says to her, well, could you please at least keep an open mind about this? And she, she, she wrote this and said, I remember walking into the Bible study. I had knots in my stomach. In my mind, only weirdos and zealots read the Bible. I don't remember what was said that day. All I know is that when I left, everything had changed. I'll never forget standing outside that apartment on the Upper East Side and saying to myself, it's true. It's completely true. The world looked entirely different, like a veil had been lifted off. I had not an iota of doubt. I was filled with incredible joy. And so the horror of the prospect of being a devout Christian crept back in almost immediately. I spent the next couple of months doing my best to wrestle away from God and it was pointless. Everywhere I turned, there he was. Slowly there was less fear and more joy and the hound of heaven had pursued me and caught me. God's extravagant love for lost people. And so what does Christmas reveal? What does it reveal to us that we don't want to miss out on? That amidst all the lights and amidst all the presents, amidst the shopping centers, amidst the meals that we can become so consumed by, what don't we really want to miss out on? Well, you don't want to miss out on the extravagant love of God who pursues lost people. The God who created the world, the God who created you and me, who holds everything together. The one whom we, we went, you know, in, we don't want anything to do with you, God. I know what's better for me to be happy. I know what's better for me to live my life my way. I don't want anything to do with you. And therefore we sin and we've been disconnected off from God. And yet God himself said, I'm going to come into your mess. He came into our story. The God who was outside of this world came into our story to chase us down. That baby in a manger was God himself. As C.S. Lewis said, the stable had something in it bigger than our whole world. What does Christmas reveal? That we don't want to miss out on it. It reveals God's extravagant love to pursue lost people. And finally, it reveals God's extravagant love and joy. It reveals his extravagant love in redemption, in redeeming people. 
And that's why we get to the third, we get to the third parable, the famous parable in the Bible, probably one of the most famous parables. Even if you're not a Christian or you haven't gone to church, you've probably heard of the prodigal son. But what happens with this prodigal son story is that we often focus on the son and we'll miss the beauty and the wonder and the gloriousness of what it's actually telling us. Because the main character of this story is actually the father. He's the first one who's mentioned and he has the last words at the end of the parable. At least 12 times the word father is used in this parable. And let's, let, let's look at the scene. The scene set there in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now, we should be struck by that because that's a very unusual request. And it's a profound request. Because inheritances don't get sorted out in the ancient world until your dad dies. And so what he asks his father is profound, but as much as it is profound with the culture that it speaks into, it's actually profound for us because at the same time, it gives us a glimpse into our sin and what sin is and our need for Jesus. See, the son, he wants to break ties with his old man. Like he wants his independence. He's, he's had it. I don't want to hang around dad any longer. I don't want to work for him. He's got too many rules and regulations. He's my boss. I'm sick of having to submit to his rules. I want my freedom. And so I want to flee the coop. I want to get out of home. I want to have my freedom and my independence. And maybe you have that feeling this morning as well. And so the son wants to get away from his dad. This young man wants his independence. But he wants the benefits of his dad. And Christmas time reminds us that we want the benefits of God, but so often we don't want God himself. See, it's, it's a picture of sin. It's a picture of rejection of God. You want God's good things this Christmas, but you don't want God himself. That's what sin is. The young man wants his dad out of the picture. Sin wants God out of the picture. Sin says, I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. I want to be at the center. I want it my way and I want the fame. And so he wants the independence and off he trots. He leaves his father and he lives a life of sin. And the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same state. We've all, you know, we've all wanted our independence to live life our own way. I think it's a bit like the Frank Sinatra song. I did it my way. That's sin. We're all lost, says the Bible, and without hope. Now, you might be here going, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like... Now, sin's a big word. I, I feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm okay. I can do enough. Well, here's a hint. Here's a hint of sin. You're looking everywhere but God to find satisfaction and happiness. C.S. Lewis says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is a, such a thing as water. People feel sexual desires. Well, there is such a thing as sex. 
If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. See, in a way, I think what C.S. Lewis is saying here is he's saying, as you seek satisfaction in sex, money, family, your career, your lifestyle, it won't satisfy you, but that's seeking for that satisfaction tells you that actually that's what God's meant to fill for you. And that's a hint for you today that if, if you're going from job to job to job because you're never happy with your job, hoping that the next job will make you happy, or as you go from relationship to relationship to relationship because that person does not fulfill and make you happy and they're always the problem in our relationship, it's probably a hint of sin in your life of wanting to find satisfaction in that and not in God himself. And so the younger son, he gets his freedom he gives up being a son and off he goes and he parties, he spends up big, he gets all the things his heart desires and he, and he spoils it on instant gratification, seeking happiness, satisfaction. You know, maybe right now it feels really good. Maybe right now you feel like, no, no, this is the place I want to be and it's performing for you and giving you satisfaction long term. But the Bible gives us a clear picture that the consequences of sin will eventually catch you up. It will let you down. So look at verse 14. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything, anything. He is really lost. He's lonely. He's lost everything. And these, these extravagantly pried Pharisees would be going, yeah, he really has. There's no way back for that kid. He's in a pigsty, right? Jews hate pigs. They're not, they don't eat pork. They're unclean. And, and if you're near pigs, it means you're far away from God. He's a downer and outer. He's too far gone. But I wonder if, if you're here today and you feel the same. You feel the pressure of others looking down on you. Whether, you know, 10 years ago you walked into an abortion clinic. Or whether you found yourself in drug rehab or an institution for months on end. Whether you've been caught up in the red light district making money or whether you've been abusive as a father or a mother or as a husband or a wife to family and friends. Or maybe externally at church and at work, you're the super religious person, the one who prays all the time, the one who sings the songs, the one who looks like your whole life presents really, really well at work and at church. But deep down in your heart, there is deep bitterness, resentment for family, for church and for friends and for work that overflows deep in your heart of anger and hatred for others that you just want them out of your life and you think if they go, Lord, be happy. In the words of a, a famous songwriter, Justin Bieber, 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 you know, the, you know the guy who sings heaps of songs, 
you've got plenty of money. A guy who basically, right, he has everything that his heart could want because of the money he has. He wrote this song. I don't know what it's called, but here's the lyrics to it. What, what if you had it all, but nobody to call? Maybe then you'd know me, because I've had everything, but no one's listening, and that's just lonely. I'm so lonely. Lonely. I wonder if you feel that today. I wonder if you're at wit's end. You're at the lowest point. This, boy, this young man, he was at the lowest point and he realised he was lost. Look at verse 17. He came to his senses. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm here and I'm starving to death. And then, and then what we get in verse 18, this, this prodigal son story, is we, get a, we get a picture of this word called Repentance. We get an example of what repentance looks like where he turns around from trusting in his own stuff and his own things and looking for it here and he, and he turns and, and he turns to the Father and he gives us a sense of what biblical repentance looks like. Because see, this son, he turns around and he's got no idea how the Father is going to receive him. Look at verse 18. I'll set out and I'm going to go back to my Father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So this son, he deserves to be punished. He deserves to be appeased. You know, the Pharisees would have said, there's no way you can invite him back in for a meal in your home. He has to stay outside. Look at the shame he's brought your name to this community. Step by step, as this, this young man would have walked back with his head down, step by step, he'd be wondering, will, what will the father do? Will he even allow me to be a servant? How will he react? Look at the shame I've brought. And, and, then, and he's unaware at this point that his father's heart is filled with compassion for him. Look at verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father, and but while he was still a long way off. Now that word long way off there is not that the father could just see him in the next room or down the road coming. Long way off is like in the next town or the next city. He gets up and he runs to him. And he, his father opens his arms up, he runs to him and he kisses him. And before the son can even finish what he's saying, hey, dad, I'll become a servant, the father grabs a robe, the best robe. The robes were a sign of status. He would grab a ring, a sign of reputation that you are my son, you're of this family. That he would grab a sandal, which was a sign of wealth and honor to be a part of this family. And this father, he withholds his punishment, but instead gives so generously to the son. Look at the lavishness of this father. The son who's taken his share of the inheritance, but this father, he dips into his own wealth and provides a fatted calf. Let's celebrate, let's rejoice, let's be filled with incredible joy this morning. My son has returned. Why? Look at verse 24. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. See, this, this, this parable, it's a, it's a picture of the extravagant love of God in redeeming people. Lost people. Why can the Father have open arms of generosity? 
Why can the Father of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy, why can God himself for us today have open arms for us? Because of Jesus, because of Christmas, because of Easter. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, right, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions or sins, dead in sins. It is by grace that you have been saved. See, why do we know that the Father can welcome us and love us? Because in his deep compassion and his extravagant love, he sent his Son to lay down his life for you. Jesus was the one who went to the cross for you. See, the Father, he's withheld his punishment from you. And as he sent his son to the cross, he would put that punishment on his son so that you wouldn't have to receive it. See, it reveals to us God's love that he would send his son to die for us whilst we were still sinners. See, this passage, it points us to the one true Father who has open arms. It points us to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this, this Christmas, what does Christmas reveal to us with the birth of Jesus? Well, it reveals to us that we don't want to, here's what it reveals, something we don't want to miss out on. God's extravagant love in pursuing lost people and God's extravagant love in redeeming. That's to purchase back, that's to buy people back for himself. Because, see, God loves to welcome people home. And the reason God can do this is because God brings people home through Jesus. The one who lived the life you could not live, who lived the perfect life, who was declared righteous at the cross. The one who, who died the death that you should have died. The one who conquered sin and death. The one who, who conquered the grave so that death would no longer have it over us. Death could not hold him. That's the extravagant love of, of God in redemption. Because as, as extravagant and as big as that young son who went off and spent, as extravagant as it is, the, the amount of money he spent, the father's love is far more extravagant than that. Because see, everywhere in this passage is the extravagance and the celebration. As you work through this passage, did you see that everywhere there was rejoicing and rejoicing and celebration? In verses 6 to 7, there's rejoicing. Now, like to rejoice and have a party, you probably have to kill a sheep. The lady who would have called her friends over to rejoice, she probably would have spent more money having a party than what it cost to find the coin. But it's making a point. So it's a parable. It's making a point of the extravagant love of God in pursuing people like you and people like me. And therefore, obviously, the older brother now will rejoice when the younger son repents and comes home. The one who's been doing everything right, the one who probably goes to church, the one who turns up to church, the one who's probably going to turn up to every single church service that Toon Gabby Baptist runs over Christmas time, the, 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 the son who's probably been to every prayer meeting, the son who's probably packed like 350 op operational Christmas child boxes more than anyone else. Surely he will rejoice. In fact, he's deeply troubled. He's deeply angered by what has happened. Why? Because of the religion that's in all of us. Like the Pharisee, he grumbles. 
Like, I'm a good person. I'm respectable. I'm dependable. Like, you know, I didn't bring disrep- I didn't bring bad news to our name in this community. He has. I've got a sense of moral righteousness. And that prevents us from rejoicing. That prevents us from knowing the love of God. See, what does Christmas reveal to us that you don't want to miss out on? Well, here it is. There's two things. It's, it's God's extravagant love to pursue lost people. It's, extravagant, it's God's extravagant love in redeeming us through the cross of Christ. See, God loves to redeem lost people for his fame, for his glory, and he loves to bring people home. And so here, I, I, you don't want to miss out. And so here's a question. Have you repented yourself? Where are you today? Have you actually, you know, gone, really, I, I don't have my whole life together. I've done wrong things. I've rebelled against God. See, repentance isn't an ugly word. It's not this word that we should shout and, and yell. No, no. Repentance is one of the most beautiful words where you turn from being sufficient in yourself and who you are and going, I've got nothing and everything that I need is found in Christ. That's repentance. Turning to Him, saying, Sorry, I'm a sinner. I need your help. I've done it my way, but I need you. See, for God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Have you repented? Have you believed this day? And with this parable of the lost son, why wouldn't you want to believe? Why would you want to pass up on that today? But then I also want to ask is, have you forgotten this Christmas what you actually have? Do you know what you have? See, the older brother had forgotten and he looked down on others because of all that he had done and all that he achieved. So the religion in him said, I'm better. He had a heart of extravagant pride. And so I wonder, have you forgotten that? Maybe you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years and you've moved on from the glorious truth that it's God who seeks and saves the lost. Have you forgotten this Christmas? Or are you like the older brother? But also I want to ask a question, we are to rejoice. You said the passage here is we are to rejoice as the Father brings lost people home. We're to rejoice this Christmas that God broke into this world to seek lost people and to redeem them. So that as we turn in repentance and faith with nothing in our hands to the love of the Father, the Father will clothe you in the righteousness of Christ. He'll put a ring on you and say, you're my son and now you're my daughter. He'll take a sandal off and he'll go to the cross and here's a sandal for you because of the hope of the inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade that's stored up for you and that you have, you have life over the grave. the extravagant love of God this Christmas. So this passage, it, 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 it doesn't end. There's no closure to this parable. It's sort of weird. You think, what, what happens to the older brother? What happens to the younger son? What does the father do? How do they respond? How does it go on for the next three months? Well, I think the parable's left like that to leave us hanging so that as we walk out here today, it leaves us asking the question, Am I the lost son or am I the older brother?
Let's pray. Father, we, we want to look to you now as we reflect on the, the busyness of the world that's around us, of the extravagant nature of presence and lights, all things that are good gifts from you. And yet, Father, so often we have wanted those things without you. But Father, we thank you that at Christmas time we are reminded of your extravagant love for us in seeking us, breaking into this world, for dying for us and giving us life over the grave. And so, Father, now I pray that we will know of death this Christmas. Lord, help us to, to turn to you in repentance and faith. Lord, kill the religion with inside of us that wants to be the older brother. And, Father, may we leave rejoicing because what was once lost has now been found. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.